It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who has been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Welcome to hour number two of Roadworthy Drive. I'm so glad you were able to drop by. I'm your host for this hour, Ken Chester. Topics on tap for the hour, tales of mobility, digital license plates and registration, and electric roads. Shocking! Or not. In any case, to add your voice to the conversation or ask a question, make a comment or suggest a topic for a future show, call or text me in the Roadworthy Drive line that number, 872-222-9793. If email is your preference, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way connects you with me and the show. With me for the hour are the other members of the Roadworthy Drive crew, Jack, my friend and show executive producer at the controls, and Sasha, our social media diva, holding things down at Mike 2. Hey, peoples. Hello. Hello. All right. Let's get on with it. Without delay, let's see what I have found to talk about. He's actually found things to talk about? I know, right? We're not going to have to ad-lib it today. Oh, my. Concept. Um, GM's in-car design for autonomous vehicles. Okay. GM's product. What's the big deal? They're developing custom designs for the interior of autonomous vehicles that you're not going to recognize when you compare it to today's cars. Well, here's here's where my thinking is. We're probably going to go to something like a limousine style interior you're gonna you're gonna have the couches you you could have some kind of like mini mini fridge in the in the the vehicle right you know especially when you're going on long trips well here's the problem with that okay that's going to collide with current federal motor vehicle safety law in terms of accident protection what you can have sharp objects things like that also it's the shape of the vehicle what's that going to look like True. Because that's going to drive uh, your interior space. A um, few years ago at SEMA, I saw Kia make some attempts um, at evolving a design. I think that it's going to be evolutionary probably for five to ten years before they finally get there, just like with cars today and how long it's taken us to get to this particular shape and interactivity and things like that. Okay. When you talk to me about cars of the future, here's here's my thought. and. I'm just speaking out loud here. Mm-hmm. I see more of like you know, like a collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know, you got maybe four or five people in the car. Everybody can see everybody, and you can actually have a conversation while the car drives you down. But the what road. if I don't want to have a conversation? That means you're antisocial. Move on. Uh, well, you know what? I could be. Leave me alone. I'm in my car. I want my private space. I want my private time. I don't feel like time. As a mother with four children, I would prefer a car where they could not interact with each other. Mom, she's touching me. Right? Yeah, I know. That's right. She's looking at me. She's breathing too hard. Yeah, I know it. Here's the thing. GM's whole approach is they want to act as the gatekeeper for its in-car ecosystem. In other words, if they take the lead to develop an in-car ecosystem with partners – for like media, 
information and interactivity, um, then it may be enough of a deterrent to where other companies, rather than develop their own, mm-hmm. would license theirs. Okay. Uh, that would give GM incredible sway over what interiors would look like, not to mention incredible sway with who could participate and, by token, make a lot of money. Well, yeah, and the other thing, too, is I don't – I see GM as competition and it's being bored. It kind of de- – it really kind of depends. Again, I've always considered mobility this mosaic. Correct. And it's hard to say um, who's going to develop this. Example, case in point, Ford and GM already collaborate on transmission technology. Correct. So what's to say with so much at stake that they do this maybe um, on interiors? And will the consumer ever know who actually designed the interior, especially with what we're beginning to see now with whoever it was taking the badging off the car? But the the larger issue is why would they care? All a consumer would really care about is does this experience match up to what either I expect, what I'm looking for, or what I want? Or does it exceed the expectation? Mm-hmm. I think that becomes the test. And uh, like like right now, you have different price points. I'm sure you will have different price points of different experiences in the interior. It's, it Really, it's a layered situation. We're seeing as technology layers upon itself, marching towards an autonomous future – we will continue to see new layers, like what we talked about last week with OnStar making changes. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to build upon that. Uh, you might see Hollywood getting involved at some level. Uh, you might see uh, uh, Internet providers getting involved at some level mm-hmm. and maybe joining up to create a special in-vehicle experience depending. But honestly, if my commute's 20 miles, 10 miles – Right now, my current commute is four and a half miles. Mm-hmm. You know, how much of experience do I want? Well, but in, in my case, the reason why I bought the truck that I bought mm-hmm. was because, A, it was able to help us be able to transport my parents. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that's kind of why we picked it. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess we will see. As this continues to evolve, oh, yeah, and you know the first the first few are going to be clunky. It's going to take them maybe ten or fifteen years to get that boiled down, mm-hmm. like anything. As you look at the past, okay, going to get a little controversial here. Oh boy, high octane fuel is the answer to fuel economy, huh? Yeah. What but if I-, I am not paying three dollars and forty four cents now for? I got gas last night. Uh huh. What if I told you, with where they want to go with this, mm-hmm. that by making it the primary fuel, <coughs> that it actually may only be a few pennies more than what you're paying now. May even be less on the low side. Could be less. Here, here's okay. Here's here's the engineering behind it. A higher octane allows engineers to raise the engine's compression ratio. That in turn increases horsepower and torque, making the engine run more efficiently. More efficiently means running the engine so that it burns the fuel more efficiently. You get more power out of the same fuel. Okay. Okay. The domestic automakers are looking for ways to meet this corporate average fuel economy, and this would actually be a cheaper way than all this newfangled lighter uh, materials and newfangled materials that they have to use to get vehicles lighter (coughs) and newfangled engine technology. 
The challenge is around the renewable fuel standard. Right. Which controls how much uh, biofuel is blended and these renewable fuel credits. If you don't blend enough for the biofuels, you've got to buy credits to offset that. Correct. And that's an issue. Um, they feel that if they move to a higher standard octane, that that will change some things because actually ethanol is a cheap octane booster. Yes, it is. So if they can get this to where everybody can cooperate, it's one of those situations where everybody could win without costing the motorists ad infinitum or higher prices at the pump. Um, we can't, We covered the same thing back in the 70s. We went from leaded gasoline to unleaded gasoline. That's true. You know, and as everybody switched over to unleaded, unleaded got cheaper. Yep. I remember <laughs> 75 paying 49 cents a gallon for unleaded. I remember one time in Texas, we were on vacation. I was a little kid. Mm. We actually paid a quarter a gallon. But that was leaded gasoline. Yes, it was. Yeah. So that can happen. We've got history where that could happen. Okay. I know you've got one more that I would like you to get to, mm. and that would be the um, GM getting back into the medium-duty truck market. Yeah, sort of. <clears throat> yeah. They're going to have Navistar build their medium-duty trucks. Now, for those of you that don't know, Navistar is basically international. Yeah, and it's a major truck manufacturer yep. of medium-duty and heavy-duty trucks. Yep. Um, GM bailed out of that market back in '09 when they were going through bankruptcy. Uh, with the improving economy and increased demand, uh, they didn't want Ford to have it all for themselves. Well, and Ford has had a bunch of it now. And what are they going to produce? Ford, Ford actually owns about 45% of that market. Right. Now, my question is, what is GM going to put on these trucks? Well, that depends. I mean, it's when you're at that level, mm -hmm. it's an upfit program. So okay. it depends on what the contractor or the fleet owner wants to use okay, it for. Okay, so we're talking, we're talking about dump trucks, ambulances, things like that. Yeah, because you're basically starting above, you know, you're starting above a one-ton truck. Yep. So, yeah, GM's getting back into the market because uh, passenger cars ain't paying like they used to. And trucks seem to be the rage right now. Well, yeah, and you've got some batteries that are going to need to be building different products, too. Indeed. Coming up, Tales of Mobility. A three-wheeled car comes to market. You're riding shotgun with Roadworthy Drive. is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. and think they can't afford it wake up for just a little more move way up join the dodge rebellion time to join the big time 66 dodge polera leaves the smaller cars standing there sweeps away the notion that big cars have to be stodgy clumsy costly. 66 Dodge Polaris. 
Response? Grease lightning. The sky's the limit. Down with a high price of luxury. Up with 66 Dodge Polara. Price to steal the thunder from all comers. The Dodge Rebellion wants you. If you're just tuning in, this is Roadworthy Drive, and I'm Ken Chester. I think we're going to need therapy here shortly, that Sasha. That commercial therapy. had Acme, anime, com- you know, cartoonish Wait written okay. all over it. Leave, leave, uh, yeah, yeah, go Wiley ahead. Coyote out of this. Yeah, because you know Wiley was in there. No, with he was Acme order straight from the factory. Well, wait a minute. Roadrunner was in Plymouth commercials, right? That's right. Yes. Okay. Me, me. Yeah, this is a Dodge commercial. Okay. 66 Polara. Yep. Uh, for the record, full disclosure, I oh. owned a 64. Ah, uh, now the reasoning comes out. Yeah. What color? How many cards has he owned? We don't, don't ask that. Don't I ask mean, that. Almost, we have a limited amount of time. He's almost getting as bad as Jay Leno. Uh, yeah, I wish. <laughs> I wish I had that kind of money. Right? I yeah, bet you. Mine, he... mine costs considerably less, let me tell you. Let's mm-hmm. go. Yeah. Okay. A few weeks ago, we talked about Elio Motors, a high-mileage three-wheeled car that had been struggling to bring a production vehicle to market. While the bar for entry in the automotive industry in the United States is high, uh, some first-time manufacturers are actually getting it done. Now, I'm not talking about Tesla. Who are you talking about? I'm talking about a Canadian company called Electra Mechanica. That's spelled M-E-C-C-A-I-N-A. Now, I'm going I'm to skip around a little bit. Okay. Uh, I'm going to start with, they build a three-wheeled electric car called the Solo. And it just achieved its national U.S. national compliance certification. In fact, they delivered their first one to a new owner in Los Angeles. Okay, question. And this was earlier this month. Okay, question. How many people does it haul? One. It hauls one. One. How much does this car cost? You know, they don't say that. Again. But I'm sure it's not ridiculous because it is an all-electric, single-passenger commuter vehicle launched by the company last September. It has a 100-mile range. That's why they call it the Electrica Mechanica Solo, S-O-L-O in caps. It is designed to get owners to and from work and around town as needed. Keywords here. Minimal expense. Okay, so you could be looking, you might be looking at a six to $10,000 car. Yeah, and I mean, I don't see a price on this, but I don't think it could be that much. Otherwise, they wouldn't, you know, get the traction they needed. They're expecting to sell 75000 in the United States in the next three years. Okay, is this about the same size as a smart car? I think so, may, give or take. Um, and I would say about the same size, maybe a tad smaller than what Elio's trying to launch. But here's the thing. Beginning in mid-September of this year, you can get, you can put a completely refundable online deposit, the company's website. Why does that mean something? Because they're not going to have dealers. No, because in Elio's situation, most of those deposits were not refundable. Aha. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Out of the $28 million that Elio took in deposits, mm-hmm. just over a million dollars were refundable. That's why I would not buy an Elio. Uh, 
Well, first of all, you can't exactly buy one. You well, can put I a know. deposit on one. But here's, here's some of the thinking. They're not just sitting there hoping people will buy these. They actually partnered with a couple of hotels in Vancouver, um, actually Victoria, British Columbia. This is really cool. They partnered with Doubletree by Hilton to enhance this program called My Stay, My Car. Beginning immediately, guests staying at the Doubletree in Victoria, British Columbia, can select a solo all-electric commuter car with their guest room for an extra $20 a night. Okay, so I can fly in, get picked up by the hotel at the airport, and then if I want to go someplace, rent one of these. It's part of your room. Now, here's the best part. Um, We talked about this company in passing. The program is powered by share economy pioneer Turo. Does that name sound familiar? T-U-R-O, correct? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Not They're, Toro, T-O-R-O. No, Toro T- T-U-R-O. Okay. They're a car-sharing marketplace where local car owners can provide travelers with the perfect vehicle for the next adventure. So in other words, let's say um, you're going to be out of town for a couple of weeks and you own a Solo. Mm-hmm. You could make it available to rent and get paid while you're out of town while somebody else is driving it. I have too many reservations about that. Well, obviously, Turo would vet the people. I mean, you're not just giving it to anybody to trash your car. Well, that's and, true. And with a 100-mile range, it's not like they're going to go all over the place. It's going to be very local. Mm-hmm. So it's not going too far. But this is part of the mobility mosaic I'm talking about. Let's look at this. An electric car that can be shared, that Here's a novel way of sharing it, handled by a third-party Toro for a hotel situation for somebody coming in wanting transportation reliable just to get around a little bit, which is better in some cases than even taking a cab, particularly if you want to look around a little bit yeah, or just go get a bite to eat or something. Now, the downside of that is since it only carries one person. Exactly. That would, that would be why I would never buy one. But it's if, not because of the car. It's because it doesn't haul enough people because, as you know, pretty much unless Leanne and I are working, we're both together. Right. But if you're a business traveler, this would be ideal. Yeah. Ima- imagine you don't have to even fool with renting a car or whatever. 20 extra bucks, boom, here's my transportation to get to the office, back, go out to eat, back, whatever. And it's electric, so you're not even worried about a carbon footprint or having to put gas in it. But I point this out, two reasons. One, here's a company getting it done where Elio has failed. Two, here's a company getting novel ideas to get their vehicle out. In the best part, it's a no-risk way for you, if you're wondering about the car, if it's any good, if you like it, to be introduced to an electric car, to be introduced to a community in a very low-risk sort of way. Do they make any other vehicles? They do, as a matter of fact. They also make um, a high-class um, sports car that's electric. Is it a two-seater? Um, I believe it is. So there's that. Um, next up, digital license plates and registration. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard exclusively on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Roadworthy 
Drive with Ken Chester is America's premier automotive news and information talk show. We are on the downhill side of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. So glad you could be with us. I'm your host, Ken Chester. For those of you out there who need or want more than your fair share of the road, and you know who you are. Me. Oh, my. Be sure to visit our website. That's roadworthydrive.com. Find audio clips of past shows. Watch video of our behind-the-scenes goings-on in studio. Oh, my God. It can be comical at times while putting the show together and more. The website is also a great place to discover where we are and what we're doing during the week between shows in the universe of social media. As I always say, Sasha is our resident local social media maven, diva, what have you. Uh, and she keeps things light and lively with the latest in mobility tech and unique automotive goings on. We're also now on Google Play as well as Blueberry Podcast for you folks that are truly mobile. See how she keeps the social. And our social media. You know, you might want to recommend, uh, let them know that that's Blueberry, as in B-L-U-B-R-R-Y. Okay. We had this conversation last week when you were gone. Mm. I looked at Ken and I said, Ken, you really must have been tired when you wrote this script because you spelled Blueberry all wrong. And then he goes, no, that's the way it's spelled. <laughs> that's the way it's spelled. Thank yes. you, Sasha. You're welcome. See there? So there, Jack. Oh, fine. Move on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Um. Is nothing sacred? No. Nothing. Wow. Okay, three words. Mm. Three. Digital license plates. What could possibly go wrong? Now, we had a lively conversation during a few of the breaks while putting the show together a few weeks ago. And I just now realized we didn't share that with you, our listeners. (laughs) That's my fault. I'm sorry. So I thought it was worth sharing with you along with a twist that I didn't share with the crew before. That I stumbled across since then. He's not talking to us anymore? I guess not. Apparently. I guess we're Meeting off. with the suits. Oh. Mm-hmm. Trust me. You, you didn't want to know. Anyway, um, this California company called Reviver Auto has developed electronic license plates that feature wireless technology and, uh, let's see if I get this word right, monochromatic digital ink screens like the ones seen in e-reader devices. <coughs> The plates can display other information in an emergency, like flash flood warning or even an amber alert. To take this even further, when the vehicle is parked, its digital plates can display other information, such as ads for which the motorist can be paid. Cha-ching! Yeah, uh, uh, paid, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's good. The new plates are convenient, too, allowing consumers to renew their vehicle registration without a trip to the DMV or county treasurer's office. Now, the part that scares me right here that is a little bit new from what we talked about. Now, these, they call them R plates, and that's R plates, the letter R. They said they're for sale in California, so they're legal in California now, Mm -hmm. and will be available in Arizona, Texas, and Florida in the near future. And I want you to put a pin in that Florida, and here's why. Uh, Companion story. An outfit called DLR DMV received endorsement from the Florida Automobile Dealer Association. Um, 
They provide technology solutions that streamline the title and registration process for dealerships and improve the overall car buying experience. Bear this in mind, as consumers are now able to receive their license plates and registrations at the point of sale. That means the dealer. Wow. Did I mention our plates are soon be available in Florida? Yep. Can you see where this is going? Yeah, they're going to try to get it all over the country. Not even that far. Let's just deal with Florida for a minute. Okay. Florida, they have this company that has basically taken and digitized all the back office stuff that would either be at the DMV or your county treasurer's office. Correct. They've made it possible that they can hand you your plates at the dealer. Okay, so no more 30-day tags. No more 30-day tags. No more going to the DMV. You get them at the dealer. But I love going to the DMV. Only you, Sasha. Um, Here's my concern. Um, Because it's no longer centralized, per se, um, and I just, yeah, I I just see some fraud. What are the the safety mechanisms and are they in place? There you go. But even before we get there, if you want to go to these digital plates, Mm -hmm. $699. Just just for the, the, the... uh-huh. I'm going to call the bracket and the display. Yeah. Plus, plus a monthly service plan that costs up to $7.75 a month for the desktop browser-based software to manage the system and the optional GPS tracking. Yeah. What could possibly go wrong? Well, and here- Privacy, somebody? Here's my thing. I would love to go to a system like that simply because- when it comes time to renew the tags, is it is it's an expenditure that might not necessarily fit in with everyone's budget. Oh heck yes. So is that see? So is that eight dollars a month? Does that include my well? Obviously not the registration in, fee. Right. But let's back up a minute. No, and it, I'm and just curious. I don't know. It okay. does not say. But let's get past the six hundred dollars, seven hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're buying a newer used car, you want to go this way. Um, the bigger question, can they roll that into the loan? Is that even legal? I don't know. I don't um, know either. Do well, you have to but pay? it's an aftermarket product. Not the way they're going. I mean, in Florida, it looks like it's the way it's going to be. If you've, got, if you've got this other company that's already got the back office digitized, if you can pick up plates from the dealer, what's the difference between picking up an actual plate and the dealer upselling you to a digital plate? I don't know. Exactly. And what about and what about privacy? You got GPS tracking. Great for fleets. And do I want to be do I want to give up that information? I don't know. Because again, we don't know what the protections are as a consumer in all this information that's being provided. And here's something else. If you've got GPS tracking and everything else, are you going to report that to my insurance company? Is my insurance company now going to track it for a fee that the state can sell that information? Do I have any say about it? No. You ha- you have no ability to either opt in or opt out this way. I don't know what my rights are. Well, and the other question that I have is looking at all the domestic issues that we have. Um, if I'm a woman who's in a domestic situation, 
is there any chance that my boyfriend or husband can, can hack can track you going anywhere, even though you have a restraining order telling him yeah. not to come near Stalking you? Stalking could be an issue. Well, not not only that, but I mean, if we're talking about even if you don't opt in for the GPS tracking, mm-hmm. that means that it's still available. So is it going to be like Facebook now where it will record all the tracking anyway, even if you're not? I don't know what Florida law states, regardless to this, but I've got more questions and I've got answers. Um, just because something can be done doesn't mean it should be done. Correct. And we'll have to see. The way it would be adopted for states, if it's a money generator, they'll probably lean towards it. So we'll have to see how that goes. Well, and who pays for the uh, renewal registration fees? We'll see about that. Finally, a shocking subject. Electric roads revisited. This is Roadworthy Drive. Tuned in to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. This is the final part of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Um, between the break, between the last segment and this one, uh, we got to talking pretty heavy about privacy, security, what's going on in Europe as opposed to what's going on here. Uh, and basically it boils down to this. We've always been concerned. Let me fix that. Jack has been mainly concerned, and I'm coming around to his way of thinking, with respect to the amount of privacy we give up as we get more and more involved in all of these applications, both in the car, out of the car, with our smartphones, without our smartphones, Alexa, Google Assistant, pick one. But as we get deeper and deeper into this electronic maze, it becomes a question of being overwhelmed with the miles and pages and pages and pages of boilerplate that you got to read if you're a conscientious consumer. Bottom line, we will continue to monitor this, this situation because it's by no means over. But the, to shorten that up, we need a congressional we need congressional action. We need some uniform laws that clearly and um, clearly and completely explain to the consumer what their rights are and what to expect, what they can opt in, what they can opt out, kind of like truth and lending was in the 1970s. Okay, I have a question. Mm-hmm. Is this topic one segment or two uh, to do with justice? Probably two. It may even be a whole show, but we'll have to do some research. Yeah. The point is, is that the American people need to understand that there is a way, if we can spur our legislative, there is a way that you can still use products and not, not have your data farmed, not have everything recorded, whether anonymously you can, or not. You, you can opt in and opt out. You, you should have the right to. Right now in the United States, no. Well, don't. in some cases you do. But the problem is, are you prepared to spend the time for every application that you use inside the vehicle and outside the vehicle to read the boilerplate, follow the uh, links to opt out? It takes time. It takes effort. And unfortunately, with the, uh, with the volume of our very connected world, probably way more. It would be great 
if we could get to one set of rules and one parameter where you can opt in and opt out, and that just covers your personality uh, or, or your um, profile for whatever you choose to link into. Um, what we need here, honestly, is something that Europe has. It's called the right to be forgotten. That was – I was going to ask you that question. Mm-hmm. But we will, we will continue to monitor this because with the growing connectivity of our vehicles, uh, privacy, the amount of information that's getting shared, you have a right to know what's being shared. You have a right to decide if you want to share it. The reason why I don't have Google Assistant or Alexa – I don't want somebody at some point listening to every single conversation that I'm having at home. Do you have Facebook Messenger on your phone? I don't think so. Uh, and here's the other thing. Your truck is submit is uh, transmitting data. Yep. I know. So again, if your phone is hooked up to your if your phone is hooked up to your vehicle, their new terminology that they're using for all these privacy lo- for all these privacy things that they're putting out mm-hmm. is um, what you choose to share with us. So if you're driving your truck and you choose to use their Bluetooth, then you are choosing to share that information. Yeah, but on even more basic, even if you don't have a cell phone in the vehicle, mm-hmm. in today's vehicle, your vehicle is transmitting information to the automaker. But the, the information that they're transmitting is data from the truck, correct? I believe so, but again... We don't, we don't really know, do What we? exactly does that mean? And you should have a right... But we'll be controlling. We'll be talking about that. Um, we're revisiting something going on in Sweden right now, uh, where they have a little bit of road that they have developed an underground delivery system for the recharging of vehicles as they roll down the road. Why does that matter? Because it would require smaller batteries, uh, quicker recharge times, and in the case of freight trucks, um, because the batteries are smaller and they weigh less. Um, the ability to haul more. The big thing in Sweden going on, and the, the project is called E-Road Arlanda. It's one of s- several projects in the Swedish Transport Administration's pre-commercial procurement of innovation for the development of electrified roads. Okay, are we talking about something like um, when I was a kid in our basement, we had a racetrack. Mm-hmm. It's slotted ra- racetrack. In a way, it is. It has a shoe. The vehicle has a shoe that locates that particular rail, mm-hmm. puts down on it, and charges. Here's the best part. The rail is not electrified. It's only electrified when that vehicle is passing over it. So if you came behind the vehicle to stand, no current. You could stand right on it. Uh, to answer a question that Sasha brought up a few weeks back, she had wondered how snow works. They said the only problem they're having with it is dirt. Dirt? Because dirt. that dirt, snow would actually melt and dissolve eventually and then evaporate, whereas dirt would be a constant knit Problem. and grit mm-hmm. in there, especially if, like sand particles. The beautiful part about this is for all the roads that Sweden has, mm-hmm. they believe all they would have to do to make this work for their entire country is to electrify between 2 to 4% of all their roads. And that makes Ma- sense. Major thoroughfares with heavy traffic. Are the ones that they would electrify with batteries carrying them outside the thing, realizing that when you got to your destination, particularly if it's a freight truck, it would be recharged at its final destination. Now, Correct. I do have a question for this. Yes. You said that the vehicle has a boot that drags down to connect that with. It comes over and down. Yeah. Okay. 
is that GPS then signaled to the car when they or do the driver? I, no, it's totally automatic. The okay. driver doesn't have to worry about a thing. So okay. and, and because it is only selective and only active as the vehicle passes over it, mm-hmm. they can meter how much electricity is used and bill that particular company or that particular driver. Right now, it's an infrastructure issue for trucks. Um, what they're expecting, what Sweden's trying to do is create a fossil-free transportation infrastructure by 2030 that will help their point, help Sweden's competitiveness, help boost it. Again, it's financial. It's not a boondoggle. They believe that it would make them more competitive while being greener because unlike some other countries, Sweden has maintained their involvement in reducing greenhouse gases and they're very serious about it, and they're looking ways to do that. Um, their statement, the use of fossil fuels must be reduced. Road traffic in Sweden counts for 33% of carbon emissions, one-third which is attributable to freight traffic. It is estimated that two-thirds of the truck transportation in Sweden could be carried out on electric roads by 2030, and it would be a significant reduction in carbon. So there you go. Um, We've come to the end of another hour, people. On behalf of the Roadworthy Drive crew, thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in next week. This has been Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.